This is Old News, a podcast where we take the Old Testament and we apply it to youth ministry. Welcome. Open your Bibles. Hello and welcome back to Old News. Today we are jumping uh, through uh, a really cool minor prophet. We're looking towards the end of the Old Testament this time, looking in the book of Malachi. And for this, I'm joined by a really good friend of mine, Josh. How are you going, Josh? Yeah, good. Thanks, Tom. Great nice. to be on the show. Oh, that's good, man. Um, I know Josh from college. We spent a bunch of time together uh, studying the word and thinking about youth ministry. Uh, someone who has been really valuable to me as I've thought through different things. And so I'm really, really glad to have you with me today, Bray. Thanks, um, how about you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Josh. I'm 22, uh, currently working as youth minister at Christchurch St. Ives in northern Sydney. I grew up in Wollongong, uh, which is drastically different. Uh, grew up at church there, became a Christian around the age of 17. Uh, and so I have a really, yeah, I guess, strong passion for ministry to young people, uh, seeing as I became a Christian around then. I studied at YouthWorks College for three years. Uh, after doing year 13, uh, so the last three years. And yeah, this is my first year in full-time ministry and loving it. Yeah, cool. So it's quite a bit of time in, in youth ministry. And I guess the thing that we found when we were at college is that part of our program was working in, in youth ministry. Mm. Uh, so what kind of what experience have you had working in youth ministry up till now? Yeah, sure. So I first became a youth leader uh, in 2014. I'd done some ministry at school uh, in the lunchtime group there before then. Uh, so I was a, a youth leader from 2014 to 2017 at uh, St. Michael's Wollongong. And uh, I was a youth and, ministry train, youth and children's ministry trainee uh, from 2015 to 2017 while I was studying at Youth West College. Uh, I team-leaded, team-leaded, team-led, same thing. Uh, yeah, led the team of junior high and led with uh, senior high. And so saw a, a bunch of guys through from year 8 through to year 11. Uh, and that was a really beautiful thing. I've also been involved in many camps, so study camps and kick and LIT, which is just sort of big combined things. So a lot of youth ministry in the broader region, not just uh, in my local church itself. Yeah, awesome. Um, so that's a, a whole bunch of your time kind of given up towards that mm, it's aim. Not given up, it's beautiful. Uh, what do you, yeah, what do you, what do you love about it so much? Oh, I just, I love seeing the enthusiasm that youth have uh, for for life in general, uh, sometimes, uh, but also for Jesus and seeing, seeing people's, I guess, lives slowly shaped and slowly changed as they uh, maybe move from their parents' faith to taking it for themselves and really grabbing a hold of the gospel, uh, but also uh, seeing the, the fruit from people, from families who aren't Christians, from uh, people who've never heard about Jesus before to coming into the Christian church hearing the gospel uh, and committing their lives to Jesus. It's the most beautiful thing. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so looking kind of at the Old Testament, thinking about the Old Testament in youth ministry, mm-hmm. uh, what, do you, what do you love about the Old Testament? Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's long, it's challenging, uh, which I maybe struggle with at times, but that's okay uh, because it just paves the way for Jesus. If we didn't have the Old Testament, uh, we'd have such a, a shallow picture of the New Testament. Um, yeah, most of the New Testament is, is built on the teaching of the Old Testament and the, the prophecy uh, and the foundation and seeing God's faithfulness uh, to his unfaithful people is a beautiful thing. 
Yeah, I think that's a really wonderful way of, of, of thinking about it. Uh, and so looking at the book of uh, Malachi today, mm-hmm. uh, what you, you've recently had some experience in teaching that book? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so a few years ago, actually, on our St. Michael's Youth Camp, we looked at the book of Malachi, and that was really encouraging. Uh, but since then, I've forgotten everything. Uh, but the first uh, first talk I gave at Christchurch at the start of this year was on the book of Malachi. Uh, we did four weeks in it at the start of this year, and I thought, well, what a way to to start my youth ministry at this church. Um, but it was it was great. We looked at uh, the book of Malachi, thinking about a half-hearted people and a whole-hearted God. Uh, and that was really uh, influential in the lives of a few youth who've talked to me about um, what those talks, what the book of Malachi have has had to say for them. Yeah, fantastic. Well, um, that's really great. Really, thanks for being with me today, man. And I'll have we jump in and have a, have a couple of thoughts about Malachi in general. So when you when you kind of started at the beginning of the year, you didn't get to choose what you were you were speaking on at youth group. Yep. So you, you got given Malachi as your first uh, book that I guess you were going to kind of lead uh, through. Um, yeah. What what was your initial response to that? To be honest, I was a, I was a bit daunted. Hey. Mm. Um, yeah. Come in. I was like, oh yeah, I can't wait to, to do my first talk. Oh, <laughs> it's Malachi. Um, so it meant that there was a bit of extra work, uh, but I found that really really helpful. Um, to really, I guess, sink my teeth into this part of Old Testament scripture that I maybe personally hadn't taught much before and to just, yeah, see the, the depth of, of wisdom and, and meat that's in it uh, for God's people today. Uh, so I, I had a blast. I really loved uh, looking at Malachi and I think it's super valuable. Yeah, so I guess then after kind of being on the other side of doing this series, both now seeing how it worked within your youth group and, mm. and also within you as you, you worked through it together and some yep. of the other leaders, um, what, what do you think of this book? I love it. I, I think it's a, like I said, it's a beautiful thing. There's lots of, lots of value, lots of gold in it. I think uh, one thing it does really well of addressing is looking at um, the apathy of God's people uh, and... Yeah, I guess some half-hearted, that's what we called our series, half-hearted. Um, the half-hearted relationship to God, uh, which I think is really um, prevalent in all people today, um, but uh, yeah, especially in youth. I think there's a, a great temptation to be switched on on a Friday or on a Sunday, um, but then just sort of go back and, and treating God as some distant relative uh, for the rest of your life. But actually, the, the challenge of Malachi to be fully committed uh, to the God who's fully committed to us. I think that's great. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and I think there, there's some really good points as we sort of start to consider the setting of this book and, and where we find ourselves kind of in this second temple period, about 100 years uh, roughly uh, after the exile. And so we've had the kind of stories of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah where they've been gone back to building and the people kind of have this really high expectation mm. of what the second temple is going to look like. They're drawing on prophecies that they have from Isaiah. Uh, they're really excited about what's to come. Uh, and then things just don't work out the way that they're hoping, mm, yeah. uh, it seems. Um, and so they, they've got this hope for the reg- for the glorious return. Uh, but Israel just happened to keep being Israel, right? They start yeah. being unfaithful to God again. Classic. And... I think what I really love about this book and, I, and that we'll keep coming back to is that there seems to be this ironic theme 
where it's a book written to a people who are disappointed, but they're disappointed because they're unfaithful with the irony being that ultimately they're the disappointing. Yeah. Like yeah. God's the one who truly should be disappointed. Uh, and I think this is an irony that, yeah, I guess just thinking about this book in preparation, I kept reflecting on my life and, and how much <laughs> of that irony is in it. Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah I guess I'm, I'm really keen to talk that through cool. um, as we as we approach the, the text itself now and, and think about its application in our youth ministry. Yeah, so as we jump into the text now, uh, I think what was interesting is I got I got you to send me your uh, plan that you guys did for the term of, of Malachi. You yep. did it over four weeks, uh, whereas when I've kind of been reading it, I was thinking uh, more of a six-week mm. series. Yep. And so we can kind of chat about those those differences as we go. Um, but the first section was one that we both really, really agreed on. Mm. Uh, jumping into uh, chapter one, we're looking at verses one uh, through to five. Uh, I guess the first thing we have the prophet Malachi introduced, uh, Malachi meaning uh, my messenger in, in Hebrew. Uh, and then God is the one who kind of who opens up uh, about what's going on by this first kind of declaration of his love uh, for his people that we see is in response to uh, kind of a suspicion from them. Uh, that, they're, that part of the context I didn't mention before was that they are looking uh, inwards at the kind of the, the trouble or lack of glory in their world. And they're looking externally uh, at the success of, I guess, who they would consider to be the wicked. Mm, yeah. And in response to this, they're saying to God, how have you loved us when all this is going on? Uh, and God responds with this image of Jacob and Esau talking about how uh, Jacob was the one that he chose uh, to form uh, his nation and that Esau he didn't choose uh, and that that seems to be a sign of God's love in this situation, that while he's saying that the wicked uh, may be encouraged and think that they can do things, ultimately, because they're not his chosen people, uh, then they're not going to succeed. But Jacob or, or Israel now, uh, God's chosen people, will ultimately be the ones uh, who do move forward. And that's because they've been chosen by God. And that is a sign uh, of his love. A really interesting opening where uh, the... The people of Israel kind of ask a question that I think we would be scared to ask God in our kind of New mm. Testament living world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So how would you take this first passage uh, and talk about it with youth kids? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, I'd really focus on the idea of, of God's love and God's love being shown, like as we as we see in Malachi, through uh, the choosing of his people. Obviously, you'd want to be cautious and not read Malachi and read ourselves into that. Uh, but thinking about uh, the way God uh, has chosen his people as a sign and symbol and evidence of his, his deep love for them. Obviously, Israel are God's chosen people back here. Um, and as, yeah, I guess the, the new, not new, but like the chosen people today uh, that we are in Christ, as we see in Colossians 3, that we're God's chosen people, we're holy and we're dearly loved, uh, that this is something to take great comfort in uh, and great security and great joy. I think uh, one thing that I definitely sort of struggled with when I was uh, younger and to a lesser extent still do, and I think is a great question in uh, youth uh, is this question of uh, assurance of assurance that they are loved, that they're hearing so many messages uh, in the world today 
um, and they just want to hear that they are cared for and that they are loved. Um, and we see that God has loved us. Uh, God has obviously sent his son. Don't want to spoiler alert the book of Malachi, but um, Jesus has come and has died for us and risen from the dead. And that is a past action that is such a clear uh, symbol of God's love for his people. Yeah, I really love that. Um, that this simple act of being chosen should be a sign of the love to us and and in a lot of ways should kind of be enough. Mm. Um, but that God then goes on to to talk about that those who aren't chosen, like they, they it's fruitless, the things that they're looking to do. And ultimately, they're not going to, to, to rule uh, mm. forever, but because they're not simply by the fact that they haven't been chosen uh, by God, which is really interesting, really interesting place to open up mm. uh, the, the talk series and then the book of Malachi by talking about this. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting, I think, uh, mm. as we move on. Definitely. Cool. And so we jump into the second section uh, that we do a talk on, the second accusation, mm-hmm. if you will. I like titling these sections uh, with the f- with the phrase accusation because uh, I-, I love the irony that keeps coming out in it yeah. as the people accuse God when in fact it's kind of the one finger pointing at God. They've got three fingers pointing back at themselves without realizing it. And I, I really love this section. I think it would be really difficult not to do a really long talk on it uh, because it's just all about our, how our actions tell God what we think of him. Uh, how our actions demonstrate uh, where our faith is at and where we position God in our lives. Mm. And so we've got this section where essentially the people are defiling the temple. They're taking uh, sacrifices that are not of the best. They're not of the first fruits. Uh, They're of animals that are blind or lame, which is like a literal contradiction of the Torah. Mm. And they're doing this as if it's acceptable. And I think uh, something that we don't often draw uh, enough attention to in youth group is is the importance of sacrifices and temple worship uh, as not the means of salvation, but the the way in which God has given his people that they can demonstrate their faith to him. Yeah. And that they're acts of faith in the Old Testament and that people are saved by their faith in the Old Testament uh, by being able to demonstrate that. And I think then the worst thing that happens in this is that we see the people demonstrating their faith to God in a really well, lack of faith in a really terrible way. Mm. And then the people that God has given the authority and the responsibility of looking after this process are joining in the priests. Those guys who have been given this, God's trusted them with what's to go on here, and they are helping the people and accepting these feeble, pitiful offerings and sacrifices. And so we see the problem is all-encompassing, and God is furious Mm. he's so angry about what they're doing here um like we can see that he is kind of threatening a curse uh, a rebuke that will continue through their descendants uh things are not looking great for the priests here and i think that's fair uh those those guys who were in this responsibility but we can see just how angry it makes god and we can see how he feels and he can see uh the way in which he is being treated he can see he says in verse six um that they're showing contempt for his name, mm. that the priests themselves are showing contempt for him through this. And it's a really um, powerful passage, I think, as we think about it. And I think it has some really great applications for youth. Mm. Yeah, I think one thing that is really key to to catch on here, like you said, the um, contempt for God name, God's name, that the actions that we do um, show our love for him. And so if we're not putting our best in for God, um, who does that make 
God out to be. Um, God sees our hearts. God knows. He knows what we could give him. Um, Now, obviously, like you said, it's not a standard of salvation that we're trying to meet, but it's actually a response to what we just looked at, uh, the start of chapter one. It's a response to God's love. It's a response to being chosen. Um, God did not spare any love when he uh, sent Jesus to die for us. Um, Why should we do the same to him? So I think for our youth, I think it's a real challenge. Um, I think there's a like I said at the start of the podcast, there's a, the, this apathy uh, that might be in our culture uh, that this really challenges um, that we shouldn't just do things for the sake of doing them, but actually really enjoy uh, and appreciate and love the actions that we get to do, that we get to worship our God. Um, yeah, our world has a lot of distractions and youth have a lot of things going on in their lives, uh, but this is a call uh, for God not to be second place, I think this is mm. this is a call for God uh, to be the first, uh, so that people can be wholeheartedly uh, committed to Him. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciated um, the imagery in verse eight of sacrificing lame and diseased animals. That that wouldn't be acceptable for the governor. Um, that giving not their best wouldn't be acceptable for the governor. Looking at our youth, it wouldn't be acceptable for their, their parents, wouldn't be acceptable for teachers or their boss or anything like that. Why are we okay with doing that for God then, who is infinitely greater uh, than a measly person? Uh, he's the creator and the sustainer of the universe uh, and the one who has sought us out and chosen us uh, and made us alive in Christ. Um, we should be giving him our best. And that's the, this is a real challenge for that. Yeah, I, th- I completely agree. And I think uh, immediately just the, yeah, seeing, seeing the problems in, in my own life and how mm. much I can fear other men and fear um, people in authority over me, um, how I might do something. So when I'm preparing a sermon yep. or um, and I'm, I've got my senior minister who's going to proofread it in mind rather than the God that I'm writing it for mm. in mind at times. Yeah. And I think... We, we can fall into that. And that really helps us to relate to the problems that, that youth have as they seek to please others, mm. um, but are quite quick to, uh, yeah, I guess not not hand that over to God. I think uh, the priority stuff that you mentioned was really good uh, in that we, like, we don't want to make a big deal out of attendance, but I think we can often make a bigger deal out of how important it is that we attend a party for someone and, and how they, they feel about mm. us attending that than us attending the huge party that we're having every week yeah. uh, for the creator of all things. That's not to say that people can't go to, to parties, but it's really, I guess, helpful to think about where our hearts are yeah. um, because God can see our hearts and knows our actions. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's worth putting the challenge out there if that is a problem at your youth group. If it's not a problem at youth group, you can just skim on over <laughs> how it. How good but, would that be? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think, I think for me, it's definitely something to to consider carefully and yeah um yeah what what an incredible passage Uh, we could keep talking about it but we we need to move on Mm. so now we come to the third section the third accusation if you will uh of uh Israel and it's verses uh, chapter 10, 2 to 16. So a shorter section, but a section that I'm sure at first glance, as you read, a uh, few people might have a couple of uh, jerk reactions to mm-hmm. the content. Uh, and it's a section that you guys didn't actually 
preach on when no. you did your teaching plan. Yeah. Uh, can you can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So obviously, it's a very um, relevant topic, uh, the issue of um, divorce and, and covenant unfaithfulness, but, it, but it's something that uh, can be a bit of a maybe a trigger uh, to people, and so it needs to be really really well handled. Um, given that our um, t- teaching series was only four weeks long, I think when um, the people that put the series together before I came in, um, they decided to leave that out to focus on other aspects of Malachi like we've talked about earlier and talked about later. Um, in saying that, I think there are some really great things we can take away from this section here. Yeah, cool. I think that's really uh, yeah normal uh, in, mm. the, in the way in which we think about things. Uh, and I think... Um, so we're, we're going to assume that we have the full amount of time and, yep. and so treat it like it is its own section. Uh, we're also going to make the assumption that isn't always true uh, and that's that we have the ability to talk about these things in a loving, partial and caring way. Mm. Uh, and I think before approaching this topic at all, it's really what we want to be praying for our hearts Definitely. Uh, as we show the love, of, the love of Christ to people through this and look to him for, for guidance mm. in that. Um, but yeah, so I guess first looking at the text, um, the, the context... I guess is being that people from Judah feel like God isn't accepting uh, their sacrifices uh, or he's not looking on them with, with love and, and, and as much joy as they would hope. Uh, and we see that this is because uh, the sons of Israel have been marrying foreign women who worship foreign gods. And the key, the key thing here, I think, being um, not necessarily that they're marrying foreign women. That, that does go against a bunch of, of what they stand for. Um, but a, a big aspect being the foreign gods that are involved. Mm, definitely. Uh, that when, in this case, a man, but we, we would say it's always a man, is marrying into a, into a family like this uh, and then him having children, his whole family is being brought over into idolatry. Mm. Uh, and really that's him abandoning a covenant that God has with him as the son of Israel. Uh, and so... God really cares about this covenant and the covenant that he's made with his people. And so when they intentionally turn from him, mm. this is a, a really uh, intense thing, even when it's for something that we think is so important, like marriage and, and love, yeah. uh, as, yeah. as, as I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Um, the next part uh, then being God talking about his distaste for divorce, mm. uh, that the man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one that he should protect. And so once again, we've got a context here. We're not in the world of 21st century Australia with, with no-fault divorce. Mm. Uh, we're, we're in the, the ancient world where uh, the security and protection of a woman was provided for her by the man who was yeah. essentially her security. And this was really important because of their lack of rights in that situation. Uh, so this is a really key thing and is a much like no fault divorce and divorce today is a really big deal. And mm. I think God cares a lot about that. Um, but from a very practical perspective, this is a huge deal Yeah, uh, yeah. that she loses her protection. She loses her security. Uh, and so, and essentially the man has made a covenant with her through marriage uh, to protect her and be the person who provides with that security. And he's breaking that covenant. And so once again, we have God's emphasis on covenant faithfulness between him and his people and his people with each other. And that seems to be really at the crux of what's going on here. Yeah. But a very, uh, I guess, uh, front page topic uh, for, for, for that being expressed. So, well, where, where are you going to start with this, man? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very touchy subject, isn't it? Um, I think it'd be wrong to say that no one knows someone who's affected 
by divorce. I may have said that incorrectly. You know what I mean. Um, divorce is it's incredibly prevalent in the wider society, but also in our churches. Uh, a lot of people aren't free of uh, relational breakdown. It's one of the many effects of living this side of um, Jesus' return. Um, and, and so kids that are growing up in our youth ministries and their friends are going to be really uh, affected by um, the issue of divorce. So we need to phrase it sensitively. Uh, we need to talk about this uh, and give the, give the room for, for people to um, be upset because I think it's right here to be upset uh, by unfaithfulness to the covenant. Um, and I think we can use that sort of emotion to point towards um, our, our unfaithfulness to God and, mm. and the, 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 obviously the Israelites' unfaithfulness to God, but our relate, um, unfaithfulness to God as something that is upsetting. Um, yeah. Um, there's a few other things to, to think about here. What, are, what do you think? Yeah, I really appreciate the uh, need for love and care and pastoral thoughtfulness uh, in discussing this issue. And I think phrasing the phrasing well is really important. Mm. I think viewing it in terms of the covenant is really important and also the context of, of the passage and what marriage looked like in that day. Mm. Um, although while I think we may sometimes be tempted to affirm certain things, yeah. uh, we can kind of resist the temptation to do that while still being caring and loving to people. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, the first part here provides a heap of wisdom uh, when it comes to date, dating non-Christians. Mm, yeah. Something that we wouldn't forbid people, but we've always, you know, everyone has in their head that, that there's a certain wisdom uh, behind your choice in who you date. And we can see that here in the way in which um, our weakness often means that we aren't going to convert the person that we're dating. And if that doesn't happen, then we worship different gods. And ultimately, if you're going to enter into a, a marriage covenant with that person or a long-term relationship with that person, one, a, one of the gods is going to win. Mm. And there's a high chance, particularly when the non-Christian is a girl, that that god's going to win. And mm. the, the, the worship of, of the world or whatever sin it is, uh, is going to win and the, the, the Christian person is, is going to be pulled out of that. We see heaps of this happen mm. uh, in the Bible and we see it happening here. And I think while we're never going to go far enough to forbid people from, from dating non-Christians and you know, I have heaps of friends with success stories in that sense, mm. um, we can see here that there is a wisdom around it and, and making intentional decisions uh, to... Or, or not making kind of uh, un unintentional decisions in the wrong direction. Yeah, um, yeah. Can, can be helpful. Uh, but once again, another really pastoral thing to talk about. Because people's parents often won't both be Christians. Mm. Uh, that's really common in our churches. It's something I've, I've found a lot in, in church, that my youth kids will have a one Christian parent, one non-Christian parent. And so we, we want to be sensitive to the external that's going on here. Mm. And I can really see the temptation to not preach this passage. Yeah. Because it's... Uh, it's just so much work for whoever's doing it and so much emotional thoughtfulness uh, that there needs to be a level of wisdom here. And so I think, I think what I'm really taking out of this, this section is, man, we just need to love people and care for them. Um, but stand by the fact that God takes covenants to his, his covenant to his people and, and people's covenants to one another really seriously. Mm, definitely. And they're not to be entered into lightly. Mm. And that these things are realities of a sinful world, but we need to lament that 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 occurs and love people through it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a really difficult section to talk about with youth kids. 
Cool, now we get to the fourth accusation, uh, one that I would be really uh, excited to, to talk about it. Mm. Youth, uh, largely because it just it just digs into something that I think we all feel. And, and that's the, as we get to the fourth accusation going from verse 2, 17 through the 3, 5, which is the breakup I think most people would do. Uh, the question comes out, where is the justice mm. in the world? As Israel looks outwards and they see the success of the wicked and the prosperity of them, and they've just experienced a ton of that in exile anyway. Yeah. They're, they're calling out to God and, and wanting to know where is the justice? Why all those who do evil um, appear to have the blessing of God because they're succeeding? Uh, where is the God of justice? And um, I, I like the fact that instead of uh, responding to them about how he has always been just and always will be just, uh, he comes to them with a promise mm. uh, that he's going to send... Uh, a messenger who will prepare the way before him and then the Lord himself is going to come and is going to deal uh, with with injustice in the world. Mm. That he himself is the one who purifies. Uh, he himself is the one who comes relentlessly and who no one can stand before. Uh, that he will purify and refine uh, the world and his people uh, and then ultimately that there will be a time when all things are right again when the day of the Lord has come and is done and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord just in the days gone by, mm. uh, that things will be right and they'll be good again. Uh, but for those who do evil, for those who are the bringers of wickedness in the world, uh, they will be deprived and they will be removed and, and it, they will not be allowed to do those things anymore. But as for those who are faithful to the Lord, uh, he says not to fear him. Uh, a really interesting, uh, cool section, a little bit of a uh, little bit more prophecy uh, that mm. we, we would kind of be expecting and and verses that probably seem a little bit familiar to us too who've been reading the New Testament. Um, yeah, how, how are you going to jump into this section? Yeah, sure. So um, I did the did the talk on this passage and I loved it. I think it's a, it's a great question to grapple with. Um, are we missing out? Is God unjust? Why are people that don't love God and actively live against Him... Um, prospering and and what's going to happen um can god be just in that and so I, I i spent a while dealing with this question and and thinking about our our answers to it like are these people ultimately uh going to meet some sort of justice what does the book of malachi have to say because god seems to just be standing there and letting all this happen um like watching a fight at school you just sort of he's just, he, he seems to just be standing there with the power to do something about it but but not and so is god actually just does he have some sort of greater plan um and i i spent uh, a while in this talk thinking about the bigger picture the bigger picture of god's judgment that god is uh, planning his justice not immediately, not right now. Like obviously sometimes it does work out like that, mm-hmm. uh, but that actually his justice is outside of our world. Uh, and the thing that has happened um, as we look at Malachi through the lens of what, has, what Jesus has done through the cross, we see this justice appear. Uh, we see this uh, purifying of God's people that God's people, um, we can have confidence. The New Testament says that we are sanctified. Um, while there's a tension, obviously, we, we feel like this justice hasn't happened yet. We feel like, oh, we still sin. But that 
a day will come when Jesus returns uh, and we, our sanctification will, I guess, be complete. Um, yeah. Um, one thing that, that personally for me during this passage that just blew my mind uh, was verse 1. Where Malachi says, or God says through Malachi, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And like he said, if we're reading the New Testament, we're familiar with this passage. I turn to Mark chapter 1, the very first words of Mark, and I see uh, this passage um, about Jesus. There's the messenger who's talking about Jesus, John the Baptist. And then it says, uh, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. In Malachi, God's saying this messenger will point towards God himself. John the Baptist pointed towards Jesus. This blew my mind and just captured it with such awe that uh, 400 years-ish before Jesus, uh, God claimed that he would come. Uh, And so this is just huge for identifying Jesus with God, which I think uh, for me personally was just a beautiful thing. Yeah. What what sort of stuff have you, you got out of this, Tom? Yeah, I, th- I think it's really um, just wonderful that we sit on this side of the cross and can view these passages through seeing a bunch of fulfillment in them already. Mm. Um, yeah, which is just really great and, and is such a great thing for giving people confidence in the Word and yeah. confidence in the Old Testament. Um, but, but yeah, I think giving people that confidence in the fact that evil is not going to reign forever, the, that they can look around the world and they can see that there is the success uh, of of the evil at times and of those who don't love God. Uh, but ultimately, well, uh, I mean, you could argue that a lot of that success is in a very materialistic sense anyway, but ultimately those ones, those people aren't going to prosper. Mm. And then when it, when it ultimately matters, the people who have taken advantage of people, the people who have uh, essentially, I mean, when it talks about oppressing widows, that's always an Old Testament um, phrasing for, for the weak and vulnerable. Mm. For those who have taken advantage of the vulnerable, uh, there is not gonna, there, there will be a time of justice, but yeah. those who stand by God ultimately, uh, it's it, yeah, will be redeemed. And I think this is a really great moment where we kind of we've had three talks so far that have kind of really put us in our position where we are, and to think about who we are and in, in, in what we're doing and how we go about things like worship and our relationships with one another. And now the fourth talk, we've been able to jump somewhere where we can now look forwards, mm. and so we can. We've built up to where, who we are and where we are, and now we can look forwards to something and, and talk about that hope. So good. And so I really, I'm really loving the trajectory of yeah. this so far. Okay, section five, uh, the fifth accusation, or more just a, a dumb question from Israel. <laughs> um, the Lord calls them in... Uh, in Verses, uh, so in chapter 3, verses 6 to 12, uh, he calls them to return to himself and Israel once again in their kind of arrogant, dumb questioning, uh, say, how are we to return? Um, God then turns to them and I think he um, sees, sees a really good teaching moment. And so he says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? Uh, but then they ask, but how are we robbing you? And, and here we have this moment where God is essentially pointing to a very specific area that they could change and work on, and that would really help uh, them in their returning. And probably because this is an issue that hits so close to all of our hearts and is an issue that we really struggle to talk about uh, 
in church, I think we're pretty good at it overall. Mm. But I think in youth group, we pretty much never talk about this issue. Mm. Uh, and so here we have an opportunity that we need to and, and an opportunity to do it in a really good way. And that's talking about money. Uh, talking about how one of the practical uh, things that we do, and, and one of the things that Israel are meant to do here is they're meant to be giving offerings, including money. Uh, here specifically, it's talking about tithing, giving a, a 10% of what they have annually. Uh, and there's a bunch of practical outworkings that come out of that too. So the money is used to pay the Levites. It's used to maintain, look after the temple. And so the temple, uh, I mean, the, the Israelites are complaining that the temple is not looking awesome, but they're not giving to the temple in the way that they should be. And so there's kind of this circle that keeps going around of how their faithlessness, it contributes to their own anger. Mm. Um, and so they, they ultimately need to demonstrate faithfulness, uh, which is something we'll come back to in the last talk, um, through the way in which they are using their, their finances uh, in these offerings. Once again, because the offerings are not a means of salvation, but the fact that they would demonstrate to God where they put their value. And I think where you put your money does demonstrate your value um, and what you really consider and think is important uh, and, and how ultimately when you are a generous people, you are a blessing uh, to other people. Uh, a, a topic that we may feel a little bit shaky talking about, mm. um, obviously depending on our context. Um, yeah, what, what, what do you reckon, man? I think, um, yeah, just this morning talking about this has challenged me to think about how uh, I talk about giving at church for me personally, um, but also like how I help my youth understand that. Uh, I think so during our services, we, um, our youth services on a Friday night for junior high and a Sunday Arvo for senior high, uh, we give, uh, we, like we pass the bag around and we have an offering, um, yeah, like, like during one of the songs, uh, where we encourage people to give what they have. Um, I wonder if we should be encouraging them to, to give a bit more than just the few loose coins that they have. Uh, I remember one of my old assistant ministers at St. Michael's uh, with his kids, uh, if he gave them a dollar pocket money a week, he wouldn't give them a dollar coin. He'd give them a few smaller coins. And with that, put them in three jars, giving to church, savings, and um, just like free spending. And so I, I wonder if we could be encouraging something like that, um, maybe in working with our parents uh, so that when they're providing for their kids financially, giving them... Um, the opportunity and the means to freely choose uh, to give to church. Um, yeah, that maybe isn't as clear as it is in my mind right now. But uh, yeah, what do you think about something like that, Tom? Yeah, I think, I think what I love um, and I've just continually loved uh, about Malachi up until this point is we're just seeing so much purpose behind these actions mm. and that these actions themselves, it's not God just saying, make sure you give all your money or give 10% of your money to the church. Uh, it's not God just saying, make sure you uh, give me these sacrifices because I demand them. Um, he has every right to demand them, but we can see that the purposes behind them is actually faith. Yeah. It's actually a, a demonstration of commitment and devotion to God uh, and that that's what he cares about. You know, he doesn't need money. He could, he could click, have clicked his fingers and the old <laughs> Temple of Solomon could have appeared. Yeah. But he didn't uh, because what he really cares about is the people, how the people treat him. Yeah. Uh, and that is a... It's just such a good way of being able to talk about giving because mm. I think it becomes, it, it hits the issue of our hearts and it, you know, it means that you can talk about the fact that you, you don't expect everyone to give the same amount mm. uh, because it is about their heart and it's about uh, 
what they're giving to and whether they're giving um, freely to God out of a devotion and love and faith in him uh, or whether they're, I mean, I know, t- I know, well, I have met lots of people um, who give quite a lot, but um, because they, God, has, God has blessed them incredibly, but they're actually giving a lot less than they would if their hearts were convicted mm. in the same way that I've met a lot of people who don't have very much who give uh, what I would consider much more than yeah. God would ever expect yes. them to because of their devotion to him. And, yeah. and so making the issue much more about the heart really, um, yeah, really, really connects it with me. And I remember being really challenged by this um, on, a, on a mission trip that I go to annually to Vanuatu. Yeah. Um, seeing the church in Luganville, Luganville Baptist Church in, in Santo, um, seeing that that church, while it was a small church made up of people who were not economically wealthy, uh, they themselves were supporting four church plants. Oh, that's massive. And, and those yeah, church plants cool. were up in the jungle in unreached communities. Um, so they didn't need a ton of money. But when the offering time came, like it was, I was really taken aback by it. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. I think it's something that really challenged me to think about what do I have? How do I think about uh, the money that I'm giving? And really what impact is that having on my heart? And so I think that's what I want to impress upon young people mm. uh, so that the giving for them is actually an, an aspect of their maturity growth in Christ. Yeah, and something that is that is joyful as well because of what they've been given uh, in Christ uh, and financially, but joyfully giving God their all. Like thinking, not thinking about half-hearted giving, like the stuff that doesn't affect them at all, but actually how can they be giving uh, that shapes their heart? Like you said, that's great. So as we get to the last section, um, the last talk uh, that I would kind of uh, speak on at youth, I kind of wrap these things together. I mean, you could separate uh, from the end of 18 and just do four separately, but I think there's benefit here to doing it uh, all together. And that's the, this section for me kind of sums up a bunch of the purpose and meaning and, and problems of what's going on in this book is the people once again arrogantly call, call to God and they're once again... Um, speaking in a way that just demonstrates a lack of understanding, that they um, see following God as futile because of how blessed the evildoers seem to be, that the those who are doing evil in the world are doing well and they are not, and so they're saying, well, what's the point of following God? Because mm. they're just so obsessed with this kind of with earthly yeah. blessings of what's going on, uh, and that once again, God instead of responding with a um, with kind of a, a defense of himself. Uh, I like that once again, he looks to the future and yeah. looks to the joy of, of, of his remnant and that he talks about those who fear him. He talks about those who are loyal to him uh, and says that on the day when he acts, they will be his treasured possession. He will spare them just as a father has compassion uh, be- between um, and spares his sons who serve him. And I think this is just a really wonderful moment where he clearly defines that his people, the righteous who stand by him, will be saved and the wicked will perish. We've already talked about this, but Mm. it's just a really good moment where once again we see this remnant and God calling people to not focus on all these things that the wicked are getting and to see what they truly have, which Mm. is him and and that they're chosen uh, by him. Yeah. uh, And so that there will be justice one day. And then at the end we have this section where uh, we see kind of some images of, of what that judgment will look like and how complete and over, overpowering it is, but also that the healing uh, that comes through it for God's people will be just as uh, powerful. And that ultimately, they will be the ones who are superior to the wicked and the imagery here of them trampling the wicked because they are the ones who are, who are now over, over the top. Mm. Um, Finally ending with a call by God to remember the, the law of my servant Moses, to remember Torah. 
to remember what, what they have been taught about God's character and how they can serve him. And so ultimately a call to live out faithfulness, to live in a way that shows God who they are, shows God that they love him, that they're his people and that they are uh, incredibly grateful uh, for what is going on. And so, um, yeah, and that, that their faithfulness will be seen uh, in their lives. Uh, and then that promise uh, that, that the prophet, oh, it says Elijah here, uh, that the prophet will be sent uh, yeah, before that, that great and terrible day comes uh, and that he will, um, yeah, that I, that I guess there'll just be uh, this moment where hearts are turned uh, for mm. positive or for negative. And that's, yeah, the, the last moment before God will finally come. Uh, which is a little bit kind of, I guess, unclear as to what that part means, mm. but definitely uh, a summary warning yeah. of the fact that judgment ultimately is going to come. And that's, that's how the book ends. Mm. Uh, a, a pretty interesting series for us overall, covering a bunch of interesting topics and now finding ourselves here. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, something that is great about this is this really positive imagery uh, for God's faithful people. Uh, the book hasn't necessarily cast the Israelites in the greatest light. Uh, but yeah, God is still at work in them and God is still has a, has a plan for them. I, I truly love um, this beautiful imagery in, in verse two of um, the faithful remnant of God's people going out and frolicking like well-fed calves. Um, it's just, it's just so happy and joyful. And it's, and that's something that, that we as God's people, we have to look forward to. Um, I think there's a, there's a sense of waiting in the book of Malachi and, and I think closing out the Old Testament and the Minor Prophets, uh, there is this sense of expectation and we obviously see 400 years of, of silence after this um, that, yeah, the people that Malachi is speaking to are called to, to wait um, and they're called to wait in, in faithfulness. Like you said, chapter 4, uh, verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses. Uh, and this is a great thing uh, we get to challenge our youth with, um, to not just remember in their heads, like memorize, love the Lord your God, but actually, actually live it out. Hear the word and do it um, and, and live as God's faithful people. Um, yeah, live wholehearted lives to God um, who, yeah, is wholehearted to us. Yeah, and I think that should really um, help them when reading the words of Paul as and and James as well, as we kind of get these instructions of practical outworkings of faith, mm. that when we when we see that the commands that we're receiving in the New Testament, we can view uh, in a way that they are expressions of faithfulness rather than the means of salvation. Yeah, uh, I think it's a really helpful image Definitely. for living out in faithfulness and a wonderful place where we can bring the series together at an end, uh, knowing that the wicked will, while they may appear to prosper now, will not be victorious forever, that God's people need to demonstrate their faithfulness and care uh, for him through their actions uh, and through the way in which they live their lives. And this is a really uh, incredible moment as we hold on to the promises that we have uh, as the reassurance uh, and confidence that we that we bear to, to move forward with all these things. And uh, I think this makes really for an incredible series that I'm very tempted to do very soon, uh, <laughs> thinking about the kind of Beautiful. needs and desires of my youth kids. Um, yeah, cool. So yeah, this is really fantastic. Yeah, so I guess just before we wrap up now, there's a, just a few. We, we've covered some pretty heavy issues, and mm. I guess we just want to reinforce a couple of things. Um, just the pastoralness and, and prayer that needs to, to happen 
in in the approach of these of this text. Yeah, there's a bunch of really awesome things that are going to really help people and uh, transform uh, us into the likeness of Christ. But as we preach and think about these things, especially uh, the divorce stuff, especially the non-Christian marriage stuff, uh, especially the the, the money stuff, mm. that we're continually framing these things within God's love for his people, yeah. his plan for his people, uh, and and what he's ultimately uh, done for us through Christ. Uh, if we ensure that we do that, then we're going to be faithful to the word, and we're also going to love and care for our youth kids who aren't necessarily in the position to comprehend all of these concepts in the way that we always want them to. Mm. Uh, and so careful phrasing, and I think... Um, and I think sometimes just choosing what not to say uh, can be really helpful in that we want to stay true to the word and we want to get these things across, but we don't always have to make the super harsh comment. Mm. Uh, we can get things across uh, through our love and also through the fact that they have read the passage for themselves. And, and ultimately, that's what we want to speak to them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, Josh, as we close up now, can you get... I thought it would be good if you had the last word. Mm, yeah, I'd love to. Um, guys, Malachi is... A beautiful challenge to God's people to respond in faithfulness, in a wholehearted way, uh, to His faithfulness. Um, Malachi has so much, uh, so much gold uh, about God's character, His faithfulness and His justice, His sovereignty and His patience, uh, and also much practical wisdom. Uh, so if you're listening to this and not considering instantly putting Malachi in your calendar for next year, repent. That's my last word. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> This has been a presentation from Old News Bible. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at oldnewsbible at gmail.com. All quotes from the Bible were taken from the New International Version 2011, and the music is Amber by Drake Stafford.